G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 9 of This Week in Startups Australia. Throughout Series 9, we're going to focus on one question. What is it that makes a startup successful? Is it a great idea? A great team, great customers, or something else altogether? This is an important question for all startups, a fundamental question. And on this series, we're looking for answers. We'll talk to people who have been successful and ask them how it happened. That part of our story begins with this episode as we talk to someone who has taken a startup from zero to unicorn. Ricky Sutton knows what it takes to succeed like few others in Australia have ever done. Ricky will be sharing what he's learned about success on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. Twista is sponsored by Odoo, a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Go to odoo.com slash Twista to check it out. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by User Testing. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Request your free trial at usertesting.com slash Twista and get the fast human insights you need to make more informed business decisions at scale. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by Squarespace. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. Go to squarespace.com slash Twista for a free trial. Twista's production partner for Series 9 is UTS Startups, where they're equipping a new breed of startup founders by inspiring students to launch their own venture and build a foundation for a successful career. To learn more about UTS Startups program, go to startups.uts.edu.au. Three years ago, we had our very first interview with Ricky Sutton, the CEO of Startup Ovu. I'm just going to play the last 35 seconds of our interview. We have a stated intention uh, that over the next five years, we intend to repatriate, and I choose that word very carefully, repatriate $20 billion from Facebook and Google back to the broadcasters and publishers. Now, that sounds like an impossible number, except for the fact that it's almost exactly how much they've taken in the last five years. So Facebook and Google have both decided that news and truth is just a little bit too hard for their tech way of viewing the world, um, which means that they no longer want to play in that space, which means the money's back in play. Right. So for the media companies that do own the relationship of trust with the public, what they need is the technical solution to get back the money they lost. That's what we do. That is the only time in the nine series on this show that I was ever fully speechless after a guest had said their piece. Repatriating $20 billion from the platform monopolies of Facebook and Google. Telling us point blank that 
news and truth had proved to be a little bit too hard for those companies, something that in the world of 2021 seems blindingly obvious, but back then actually seemed a little bit edgy. Well, we knew it was time to reconnect with Ricky because he's a little further on his startup journey. Ricky, welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. How are you doing on repatriating that $20 billion? Uh, Hi, Mark. Thank you. Uh, Making you speechless, I'm very proud that would be, that's a good outcome. Um, where are we? Well, the world's moved on, hasn't it? I mean, I don't think we've changed our view on what we're trying to do from the day we first thought about this. And it was long before we came and talked to you as well. We thought that this was a problem from 2007, okay? And people thought we were properly mad then. But look, I think that um, if, you, if you work in an industry and you devote every moment of your time to really thinking hard about the future of that industry, you have a different perspective. I don't live in the tech bubble. I come from media. And so therefore, it seems blindingly obvious to me that there needed to be this shift. Um, And frankly, you know, the choice of that word, repatriate, it's extremely loaded. I mean it because it used to be our money. And we used that money to report the news and to report truth. And it was that money that facilitated and enabled the world to have checks and balances around the news and information that it received. If you take a, uh, a room and withdraw all the air from it, I guarantee to you the person in that room is going to feel unhealthy and produce less. And it's the same with the media. So repatriation isn't about competing with Facebook and Google. It's just tasting back what my industry owned before to do the thing that my industry needs to do. So I don't particularly view it as a difficult job. To me, it seems completely inevitable. How is that process going now? When we talked to you originally, you you were working in 140 companies, but you now have some extremely large customers, don't you? Yeah, we're over 400 now uh, worldwide that we work with, Um, you know, and pretty much everybody that's the great and the good of the media uses our technology somewhere now. So from that perspective, I think that um, it's been a very, very busy year, but we've really only scratched the surface. Um, you know, $20 billion is a lot of, lot of money. If you want to break down $20 billion into 30 days in a month and then 24 hours in a day and then 60 seconds in a minute, you know, uh, we've got a long way to go to actually deliver on all of those objectives. But I think that what's completely changed is that what seemed impossible now feels inevitable. And it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Um, and so we're in it for the long haul and, 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 We're not going anywhere. All right. And just in case a listener has not gone back and listened to Series 6, Episode 4, where we actually talk about it, just explain very quickly what the Uvu model is. So what Uvu does is Uvu wants to put a contextually relevant video in every article in the world. We believe that the future of news telling will be audio and visual. We believe that because all the data suggests that's true. Um, And so if you look at uh, consumption of video, you look at the creation of video, you look at the monetization of video, you look at people's decision to leap to video to report the news, you look at the best way to report an event. It's almost always visual. So it's inevitable that the future is going to be in video. So Uvu's mission is to put a contextually relevant video in every article in the world to tell trusted news to a billion people and to use that to repatriate the advertising dollars from Facebook and Google. Um, to do that, um, you have to do a couple of things. But the first thing is, is that you have to find lots and lots of willing partners to distribute their video. 
Uh, and as I said, we've got over 400 of those. Um, and then you need to have a whole load of publishers that are willing to give you access to their article pages. So we have relationships with major publishers all over the world, but we're also the video platform of WordPress, which publishes more than 30% of the entire web. So we've got access to those two things. What we're now plugging in is the monetization element. So we're now the primary ad seller for all of those publishers in video. Um, and so now any advertiser can come in and buy any number of publishers and any number of videos knowing it's all brand safe and do it through one location, which is Uvu. That's the thing that really enables us to finish the job. A relevant video in every article, tick. Contextually, uh, tell trusted news to a billion people, tick. Now we need to use our ad sales capabilities to repatriate the dollars. So the This Week in Stripes Australia website is built on WordPress. Are you telling me that I could now have contextually relevant videos at the bottom of every post about every episode? Or at the top. Uh, but yes, um, so <laughs> I, I think I'm going to keep the podcast at the top. Just, just indulge me on that. But yes, yeah. So we have a um, we built uh, with WordPress uh, a plugin that enables anybody to deploy the Uvu catalog as a plugin into their website. So in the history, in the past, um, you would have had to go out and do rights deals with incredibly big and expensive organizations. Everything we provide is completely free. The monetization is on a revenue share. So anybody using WordPress can deploy our plugin and they can be live in 10 minutes and they can be delivering video and they'll be paid at the end of the month by us. So if you think about what that's done, is it is, and I, 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 I'm enjoying this conversation because when we first talked about this, Mark, years ago, I said that we were going to turn video from a cost to a profit for every publisher. Um, and everybody kind of looked askance at that, given that they were spending five, six million dollars a year in distributing video. What we've now done is we provide the video content for free. We provide the player, the storage, the distribution for free. Uh, we provide the recommendation and the matching through the plugins for free. Uh, we provide the monetization for free and we take a revenue share. So what this means is that in the past you paid for the video and then you ran the risk of having to sell it and you might make a loss. To now, any publisher in the world can use any video in the world and put it on their site for nothing and be guaranteed to be paid at the end of the month. So we've changed video from a cost to a profit line. Um, and that, we think, is what is the scaling opportunity. So all of this is happening against a backdrop of the continued implosion of the former big press publishers, right, whether they're magazines or newspapers. You know, we saw Fairfax finally collapse and get gobbled up by nine earlier in the year and so on and so forth. So are these solutions coming online fast enough to be able to restore particularly local journalism? Or are we going to see a future, as someone is predicting, which is, is more and more dominated by a few very, very large news publishers? Mm. So you know that this is very close to my heart and the entire reason why we exist. Um, I have a contrarian view. I don't think we're in the continued decline of media. I think the decline of media ended in Q1 last year. Um, and I can put a timeline to it because I saw a complete change in attitude, perspective and earnings on all of our customers. Not That's a bit of an exaggeration, but most of them. Something significant changed in Q1 uh, 2020. Now, it wasn't the pandemic, okay? What actually changed was governments suddenly stepped up with Facebook and Google. 
And so what you saw was that uh, a group of, I, I put it like this, imagine you're a football team and you've lost every single game for 10 years and everybody else in the league is better than you. It's very difficult to get yourself off the carpet and be motivated for the game on Saturday. If you're suddenly finding out that all of the best teams in the league are leaving, you've suddenly got a chance to win. And so what's happened here is that the media has seen an opportunity that perhaps the major competition that they've experienced from Facebook and Google that's effectively become a, a monopoly, a duopoly, whatever you want to call it, um, is going to be broken. And if it is, then what happens? Well, we return to doing our job of reporting the news locally, nationally, internationally, and everything else. Now, are all of the media companies going to survive this transition? They're not. The fittest will survive. But I think the fittest and the smartest are recognizing that when they grow again into the era, the decade, the next 25 years of media, it's not going to be words and pictures. It's going to be multimedia. It's going to be podcasting like this. And it's going to be video like what we do. Um, and so the answer is, is that how do I make myself match fit for the future, not running hard at what we did in the past? How do I recast media for the next 25 years? The answer is it's video. And so our phone hasn't stopped ringing all through this year from companies that are figuring that out. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We will be right back. Twista Series 9 is proudly sponsored by Odoo. One of the toughest parts of building a company is choosing which tools and service providers to use. You want to pick the best solution for each department to help your employees succeed. Because they deserve the best. And you always want to be frugal and not spend too much. There are so many functions in a startup and each space has endless vendors. There's sales tools, email marketing, accounting, HR and payroll, project management, customer support, point of sale. E-commerce, it goes on and on and on. And eventually, you end up with a Frankenstack of tools that cost a lot and don't integrate properly. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that let you build and scale your stack as you scale your business. It's simple and modular, so you use what you need and all of their apps integrate perfectly with each other. Plus, it's all open source. So you can spend capital on talent instead of expensive software. Take your pick from accounting and project management, invoicing, sales, marketing automation, help desk, timesheets, inventory, and so much more. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. That's not a joke. Take $1,000 off. Go to odoo.com slash twista to check it out. That's O-D-O-O slash twista. We're back on This Week in Startups Australia talking to Uvu CEO Ricky Sutton. All right, Ricky, I want to come to the central question that we are asking everyone on the show this year. What does success look like? You have taken a startup from zero to a great big one now, so you have seen a lot. What have you learned about what success is that you can share with us? Yeah, I love this question because I'm always completely befuddled what the answer should be. 
And if you go and talk to any startup founder, I reckon you'll probably get the same response. And it also changes every 15 minutes. So uh, look, the answer is, is that when we started our company, we set out a very, very clear measure of success. We decided exactly what it was we wanted to do, and then we made it a big and massive one. And you've heard me talk in this so far about what our mission was. So success for us is when we finish that. All the way along it, though, little things happen that suddenly make you stop and go, actually, we might just be winning at something here. Okay? Uh, what started out as a pipe dream might actually be becoming a reality. Um, and so I, I've talked about this, actually, on this podcast before, but I'll do it again. There are, for all of, all of anybody on here that was already a startup knows this, and anybody that's thinking about it, please know. There are very, very dark days, <laughs> so dark and miserable, um, midnight terrors, um, all kinds of stuff, okay? Um, and the truth is, is that I decided two and a half years ago to record at the end of every day my thoughts, every single day. And when I'm at a bad day, I record all of my downside. And when I have a good day, I record all of my good side. And so what happens is, is that when I'm having a great day and I think we can't possibly lose, I listen to the down ones. And I do the same on the, on the down days. And the outcome is, is that you manage to create some kind of equalizing force. But what you then look at, once you have that perspective, is that you suddenly realize you're still 3% ahead of where you were this time last month. And then if you go back and listen to a recording a year ago and you suddenly realize how far you've come, that's what success feels like. So for me, success is putting down markers all the way through this process, good and bad, and then going back and measuring where I am today against them, and I can see the difference between them. Right, and this is almost a, the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb strategy, right? You know, that you're actually laying the markers down so you can see the path that you've taken and you can chart your progress against that path. And you make a really good point because without that, you're constantly operating in the low-level alarm state or the low-level euphoria state of the entrepreneur because you're confronting your next challenge or you're celebrating your last success. And the past and the journey to those successes and to those, uh, I guess, problems can get lost in the noise. Yeah, we signed a, a huge um, uh, Indian publisher the other day who we've been talking to for a couple of years and we finally signed them. And you'd set yourself this goal, I'm going to get this done, it's going to be fantastic. Then you get it done. 20 minutes later, you've forgotten and you're on to the next thing. <laughs> um, because you have no choice, because you're, you're climbing up a hill that's a really big one and you can't stop. So you don't have time to stop and enjoy the cele uh, celebrate the successes. So by using those recordings, I just pop back in time and just say, where were you? What did you do? And, and listening to them, you can see the gap. It's clear and you can't see it in the moment. Yeah. And this is, you know, because I run my own business, a few years ago, I started keeping sort of very accurate accounting of how much money I was earning each quarter because I didn't really track it that well. I mean, I tracked it for my tax, but I didn't track it that well and, and where it was coming from. And now it's actually possible for me to see how my business as a podcaster, as a futurist is growing quarter on quarter as a result of that. And it allows me to see that actually I am doing better, right? Did I? reaching more people, I have more clients, all of these things. And I feel as though if you can't build that kind of visibility in, you're right, you can't know where you are. Mm. I'll tell you one other thing, actually, with regards to measuring success, 
is that back in 2007, when I start, started talking to important people about the dangers of the duopoly, okay, um, as I said, I was pretty much, I wasn't so much laughed out of meetings, but the reaction was one of, I don't get it. I don't get what the problem is here. Um, and some of these people were really important. I had lunch two days ago with an extremely senior CEO um, who basically relayed to me over lunch exactly what I told them 10 years ago and why they were intrigued but now believe. And so every now and again, the echo of something that you said that sounded ridiculous comes back to you through someone who is really validating a belief that's satisfying. And this isn't about ego. It's about trying, suddenly someone who you massively respect comes back to you and says, I heard you, I wasn't sure, I think you're right, what do we do about it now? And so I think that for all of us as startup founders, sometimes you just have to have the power of your convictions and be willing to be laughed at in the immediate term so that you're setting the stall out for what you authentically represent in the longer term. And if you don't pivot, make it up, if you don't, if you truly honestly believe it and you've got the power of your convictions, eventually that comes back to reward you in time. So it's interesting that you touch on the duopoly. You and I are both, I think, famously skeptical of particularly Facebook, but also Google. And in particular, in 2021, we saw the duopoly try to strong arm the parliament of Australia. We saw Facebook pull the plug on news in Australia, an, an act that had international ramifications for both Australia and Facebook. So we saw these companies act with the enormous market power that you and I have both been talking about for a decade. We've seen them acted out in public. Do we think now that there is a sea change around how the platform players are going to be managed, not just with the businesses that they work with, but at the, I guess, the, the national and international levels? No, I think what um, we're going to see is a sea change of public opinion. And so let me tell you, if you are intending to create a police state the very first thing you do is shut down conversation. You go after media, uh, you go after the intellectuals, you go after all of the dissenting voices. You just saw two companies do exactly that in the digital era, okay? This was a digital coup d'etat, okay? And we should absolutely recognize it as such. Um, but where I think that they... Well, apart from the fact that they made a stupid decision, which I think they will appreciate in time if they are not already appreciating it, two things that they did that I think are massively damaging to them um, and is terrific. The first one is that they just proved without a shadow of a doubt the need for antitrust. That was prima facie. If you go and buy a book on antitrust and read the first two paragraphs, it says exactly that. So I think that that is case proven. Now it's just a case of taking what they did and putting it into documentation and putting it in the courts. I think it's now obvious that it's going to happen, number one. Um, but the second one is the court of public opinion, which everybody forgets to talk about. 
So I can offer you the way I saw this happen. I immediately thought the sensible thing to do is to jump into media like this and talk about it at length because everything I've been talking about and thinking about for 13, 14 years was happening on my watch. But I chose not to do that. I walked out of my office here and went and placed myself in a coffee shop the entire day and listened to the conversations taking place in the coffee shop because there was only one topic of conversation. And I had my laptop open and I sat anonymously in the corner and I just heard every conversation was, I'm thinking of Bing, what do you reckon? Oh, no, I was, have you heard about this Ecosia one that plants, oh, that's interesting, I hadn't thought about that one. What about DuckDuckGo, right? There was no conversation about, oh, these people are going, what a disaster. I didn't hear that once. What I heard was the entire public just go, oh, well, they're going, all right, fine. What are we going to do next? Well, if you're Google or Facebook, that should chill you to the core because not 15 minutes after they've made the announcement, people have moved on. So if you live in their bubble where you believe, and they've told me this to my face, they believe that they are an evolutionary step in mankind, that was what I was told, they're about an evolutionary step of mankind that everybody forgot about in 15 minutes. So I think their power is massively overstated and massively overestimated. So if you're going to lose in the public of public in the court of public opinion, and you're going to lose in the courts of the land, you're going to lose, um, and that's a great outcome. Ricky, as always, it is a pleasure to have you on this week in Startups Australia. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Twista Series 9 is proudly sponsored by User Testing. Are you launching a new product, developing a new prototype, rolling out a new campaign? User Testing lets you see, hear, and talk to your customers to understand how they experience your brand, your product, and your services. Put yourself in your customer's shoes with real-time video feedback from User Testing. The User Testing Human Insight platform allows you to target your exact audience, ask them any question, or give them a task to perform. It's a tech platform that connects brands with their target audiences to get feedback on any experience. Testers get paid $10 for their time. These users aren't doing this to get rich. They're doing it because they really want to help make your products and services better. Watch, listen, and observe the reactions so you can connect the dots and keep improving. You'll get feedback within hours and strengthen your relationships with your customers. Request your free trial at usertesting.com slash Twista and get the fast human insights you need to make more informed business decisions at scale. As we noted in our interview with Jason Calacanis in episode one and just again in our interview with Ricky Sutton, we have had an interesting time with the platform monopolies here in Australia. Ricky points out that, in fact, Australians were, I think, affronted and really ready to migrate off of the platforms pretty much as soon as the platforms started to act out. 
But that doesn't mean we don't live in a landscape that is dominated by platform monopolies. And there are three big ones that come to mind immediately, Facebook, Google, and Apple. So let's take a look at each of those. So Apple really owns the smartphone. Now, the majority of smartphones around the world are not iOS, but the majority in Australia are. This goes back to the very beginning, in fact, because the ACCC made it impossible for Apple to lock the iPhone to a particular carrier. The iPhone was always available across all of Australia's carriers. And so in almost a test case, this was the only market in the world where the iPhone was freely available. And so iPhone ownership rates have always been very high relative to the population in Australia versus other countries in the world. And I think we might, in fact, be among the highest with at least sort of 50 percent of all of these smartphones being iOS devices. The other platform player in that space, of course, is Google with its Android platform. And so you have two platform monopolies in the smartphone space. And we can see with the troubles that Apple is now having with Epic Games around the access to the App Store, Google having similar problems, that there's questions around whether a platform will allow a startup that has a competitive product that may be better than the offering from that platform player, whether the platform will allow that product to thrive on that platform. And so startups are hemmed in not so much by their ability to innovate or to get capital or to execute, but by their ability to actually reach the market with their product. And this is not supposed to be a problem. In a free market, you're supposed to have free access to your customers with your product. Having someone stand in the way there, even though in Apple's case, they're clearly making an argument that makes the platform more safe and secure, even when that's true, you still have this argument about market concentration actually hindering innovation for startups. Now, Google dominates search so thoroughly that effectively you have to work with them to get your results seen for search engine optimization, for ad buys, all of these other things that aggregate around what a search engine does. Google has become the sole gatekeeper for all of this. So if you want to promote your product or service, if you want to be seen on the internet, you really don't have any choice. You have to be able to work with Google. If you make a decision to either not work with Google or even work against Google, or if you're doing a product or service that is competitive to a Google service or the service of a close Google customer, you might find yourself downranked. And Google consistently gets pinged by antitrust regulators for making these kinds of decisions in its own interest. Once again, the platform is creating a barrier to the free market just by its presence, just by operating on its own toward its own ends. And then there's Facebook. And, you know, I quit Facebook 10 years ago, never looked back. But it's become the default social platform for everyone around the world. And of course, it does whatever it can to lock people into that. But once you're locked into that platform, you also have to play by that platform's rules. And so that platform can regulate speech or commerce in any way. Now, some of that's very good because it should regulate hate speech. There are questions about whether it's doing that to the degree that it should. But some of that's just really around the kinds of conversations that Facebook wants to let you have on its platform and the kinds of services that you are allowed to tie into Facebook to be able to use that platform. All of this is just actually standing in the way of innovation. We've effectively seen very little innovation in social networks over the last decade because of Facebook's dominance. And this is one of the most important technologies to come out of the 21st century is social media. And yet we seem to be in this 
vast period of just fundamental stagnancy because Facebook has so effectively sucked all of the oxygen out of the room. So when it comes to the platforms, if Ricky is right and we're seeing the end of the era of their dominance, then maybe there's a space for new startups to be able to come in and do things differently. Right now, startups have to figure out how to contend with platforms that may in fact stand in their way or pitch themselves to be purchased by these platforms. Although that seems a bit like a lottery because it happens rarely. So how does a startup work in an environment where it is dominated by these giant firms that have so much capital and so much influence that they can't effectively be bargained with? That's a big question that stands in front of the success of any Australian startup. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We will be right back. Twista Series 9 is proudly sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. With Squarespace, you can blog, publish content, promote your business, announce upcoming events and special projects, sell products and services of all kinds, and much more. No matter what you need to do online, Squarespace has the answer. They've got beautiful templates by world-class designers, along with powerful e-commerce functionality to help you sell from day one. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box, plus it has built-in SEO, free and secure hosting, and 24-7 award-winning customer support. From websites to online stores, from marketing tools to analytics, Squarespace has what you need to succeed online. Go to squarespace.com twista for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the code twista to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash twista. If you are a startup founder, do you have the presence of mind to take Ricky Sutton's advice and every day at the end of the day, Write what's on your mind. If they're your worries and your fears and your failures, write those out. If they're your wins and your triumphs and successes, write those out. But make a discipline of it every single day. Do it every single day so that then you have some way to be able to look back and reflect on the journey and understand how you've learned and understand in the delta between where you were and where you are that that is what success looks like. Because that's the way, as Ricky says, that you might be able to tell we might just be winning. Big thanks to Twisted Sponsors, User Testing, Squarespace, and Odoo. Thanks to our production partners at UTS Startups for their assistance. Thanks to Ricky Sutton of OVU for taking the time to come onto our show. Come visit our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, and all the links to all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. 
We will be back next week with our first interview with a young startup entrepreneur for Series 9, and we'll learn what it takes to make that growing startup a success. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.